Hello, people of the way. Uh, today we begin our study. It's uh, uh, the introduction to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we begin our study through a new book, uh, one of the epistles of Paul, an exhortation to the saints in Ephesus. And we see uh, Ephesus in Acts 18, 19, and also in 20. Not Ephesus proper, but we see uh, what happens, what is described as what happens in Ephesus, mainly in Acts 19. Uh, but this happens around 54 AD when we see Paul in Acts 19 arrive in Ephesus. It's around 54 AD, which is about 20 years, 22, 20 years after the, 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 the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see how in Acts 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus, but then Paul leaves Ephesus in Acts 20, and that's around 57 AD. So there's a three-year time period by which Paul it re remains in Ephesus. And we see, if you remember our study through the book of Acts, passages that we're going to look at today, uh, we see how Paul, it was customary to him to go into the synagogue and reason with the religious leaders, the Jews in the synagogue, and prove that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this is this letter, the book of Ephesians, this letter to the saints in Ephesus was written around 62 AD. So we see Paul arriving in Ephesus in 54 AD, and then he leaves Ephesus in 57 AD. So he's there for three years. But then this letter to the church in Ephesus, to the saints, it's written in 62 AD. So it's five years after he leaves. Okay, so there's this three-year uh, 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 growth in Christ, but then a five-year gap between uh, uh, Paul writing this letter. And what we see here, this problem that arises in the church in Ephesus is that the saints are at risk of forgetting the faith. Now, I know that's hardcore. I know that's like, well, wait a second. How, 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 how is that possible? We're going to reference what we reference quite a bit, and I'm not going to stop referencing it, but let's turn to Luke chapter 8. This is what I mean when I say that the saints are at risk of forgetting the faith, because in Luke 8, our Lord teaches us about what can happen to the seed, which is the word of God. And in Luke 8, verse 13, he says, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which means that if there's no root. That means there's no maturing, no maturing. And who believe for a while, he says, what we like to refer to as short-term believers. Not good. Don't be a short-term believer. Be a long-term, be like a, a believer, you know, until your last dying breath. Don't be a short-term believer like our Lord describes here, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. That's what our Lord teaches about when the seed falls on the rock. They hear, they receive the word with joy, and they have no root, and they believe. You say, well, praise be to the Lord. We have believers here. Yes, I get, I get it. You know, you have, you know, praise be to the Lord. This is beautiful that they believe, except this is the danger of having no root, not maturing in Christ. Now in verse 14, we see this. Now the ones that fell among thorns, among thorns in verse 13, it's among rock, on the rock. And now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, we have people who, 
The seed has gone in their ear holes and they've heard. But now look what happens in verse 14. That when they have heard, go out, which is to journey out. And then something happens and are choked, choked, which translates as to be strangled completely, to be choked, strangled completely. I don't know if you've ever been choked out before. I've been on the receiving end of choking. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. It's, you know, you pass out. It's, it's not a good feeling at all. It was in an environment with the group of guys. It's, you know, if any, if any listeners are familiar with the house of pain environment, you know, a 10 guys surrounding you. And, you know, one guy got the best of me from behind. He was a big, burly guy. His tree chunk arm reached around the left side of my head. And I knew that the choking was going to come, but I didn't want to leave my vitals exposed. And so, boom, his left arm came and came around my neck and it was lights out. And I was also lifted up so I, I couldn't, you know, no pivoting or anything. The pivoting was impossible because I was off the ground and I was choked out. Now, that was the last time it happened. But when you're choked out, it's not a good feeling. Go out. That's what happens when you're choked out. He says, goes out and are choked out. But in the faith. What happens in the heart? What happens in the mind? How is a person choked out when they've heard the word of God? When the the seed has gone in their ear hole? How is a person choked out? And our Lord himself teaches us with cares, which is distractions. That's how it translates. With cares, which is distractions. Riches, which is money and possessions. And pleasures, which is the word hedone, where we get the word hedonism. It's sensual delights of life. Of life. Which also translates as this life, this present life, and livelihood. And that's what happens in the life of a believer, in the life of... It's a, it's a threat to any of us. When a person can be choked out or strangled. And how does that happen? Well, what happens when we're distracted from the word of God? What is it that's keeping you from the word of God? What distraction is keeping you from the word of God? Straight up. What distraction is keeping you from prayer? What distraction is keeping you from, you know, studying the Bible? What is it? That's not good. Those distractions, we have to call these distractions what they are. Because these can be potential threats to any of us. And that's what our Lord teaches here about being strangled completely. Remember, these are, these are seeds that fell among thorns. The, in verse 13 is among the rocks, but when it's among the thorns, they're choked, completely strangled. With distractions, a distraction, you know, oh, I want to go to church. I want to listen to Bible study. I want to listen to this Bible study, but I also want to watch this football game. But I also want to do this. I also want to do that. I also got to do this. I also got to do that. And, you know, we do have responsibilities. I'm not trying to say that, you know, that, you know, that's Satan, you know, or I have to, you know, uh, 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 cook dinner. That's Satan, you know. No, it's, uh, we have to live, you know, you have to make a meal. 
But then at the same time, what are those distractions? Oh, I want to watch, you know, I got to watch this football game. And when this is done, I got to watch this football game. And then when that's done, I got to watch this baseball game. And when that's done, I'm going to watch this basketball game. And when that's done, I got... it's like, wait a second. What about your time in the word of God? What about your time in prayer before the Lord? And that's what happens when you're choked out with the cares or the distractions and the riches, which is the money and possessions and pleasures, sensual desires, hedone, where we get the word hedonism of life, this present life and of livelihood even. But then here's the key and bring no fruit to maturity translates as no fruit to perfection. You see, how many times, if you remember our study through the Corinthian letters, first and second Corinthians, how many times do you remember us saying, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, higher, higher education, higher learning. I'm not advocating academia in accordance to this world, but to have this similar concept of growing and maturing in Christ. But what happens, you know, just as the natural world testifies, if somebody's a school dropout, you know, if somebody goes to first grade, second grade, third grade and drops out, then for the rest of that person's life until he or she continues learning again, has a third grade education. I'm not advocating, you know, uh, the academia in accordance to this world because, you know, I teach from America and academia in accordance to this world, it's crazy town. It's straight up crazy town. The, the kids today are being indoctrinated with things of the world, things of the carnal nature, things that are demonic and satanic. That's what's happening in you know public, the public school system. And so I'm not advocating the public school system or anything like that. But what I am trying to explain and help us understand is that, you know, you, you're first grade, second grade, third grade, and then you drop out. Well, okay, for the rest of your life, you have a third grade education. It's fourth, fifth, sixth, and then you drop out. Okay, for the rest of your life, sixth grade education. Seven, eight, nine, drop out. Okay, for the rest of your life, you have a ninth grade education. And the same thing applies to our faith. We grow and we mature and it's like, okay, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, just like in our study in Corinth. And then what happens if you drop out? Arrested development. And what happens if there's arrested development? Why is that arrested development there? Well, the cares, the distractions, you see. And then say, just like those saints, the remnant in Corinth. Now they have, you know, three years of arrested development. Now they go back and now one, two, three, all over again and four, five, six. And at any time, okay, arrested development can settle in it at grade five, at grade eight, at grade, you know, 12, at whatever grade. And I'm giving this worldly examples to help us understand to not be a dropout. Because once those distractions set in, that's, those are things that the enemy uses to get a foothold. And then once verse 14, the threat of verse 14 is almost precursory to verse 13. Because bringing no fruit to maturity in verse 14, what happens to the root? In verse 13, remember, these have no root. This is how a person be, becomes a short-term believer. 
by bringing no fruit to maturity, no fruit to perfection. You see? And this is a threat on all of us. This is a threat on all of us. You say, well, wait a second. You know, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Well, is that biblically accurate? I know people say it. I know people like to think it. But what does the Bible say? Just verse 13 alone. When Jesus Christ says in verse 13, they receive the word with joy. They hear and they receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. That verse, this verse, this, this not even the full verse, this portion of this verse obliterates the once saved, always saved theory. You see? And I don't want to scare you by saying, you know, sometimes people hear that and like, oh my goodness, does that mean I can lose my salvation? Well, listen, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, but for the rest of our lives. Let us be a people who abides in Christ because the things that can choke out or strangle completely are the distractions, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Now, I understand that, you know, we, you know, if, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. You don't work, you don't eat. So I know we have uh, uh, things to do to like, you know, earn income. You know, you got to pay rent, you got to pay mortgage, you got to buy groceries, you got to, you know, uh, do whatever. But at the same time, never, ever forget this threat because Satan, he just doesn't want to distract you for the sake of distracting you. He wants to distract you. And he has a whole bunch of tools in his arsenal. But he wants to distract you in order to kill you. To drag you to hell with him. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. And that's the problem with bringing no fruit to maturity or bringing no fruit to perfection. We grow, we mature in Christ. And he teaches us first grade, you know, you could be a brand new believer. And if you're a brand new believer, praise be to the Lord. You can be a brand new, fresh baby in Christ and how beautiful it is. But that fresh baby, we need to grow. Don't stay a baby. We need to grow and we need to mature. You see? And just as we see, like we just finished our study through Galatians and, you know, the, the problem that existed in Galatians wasn't the problem that existed to the saints in Corinth. Corinth had carnality and Satan used carnality, the carnal nature as a foot, as a foothold in the saints in Corinth. And then Paul says, okay, now you have to separate. This is leaven. Now you have to separate from them. Now you have uh, the, the remnant that emerges from Corinth. And then at the same time, we see leaven in our study in Galatia. But Satan didn't use the things of the flesh for Galatia. He used the Bible. You see? Oh, it is written. Moses, Deuteronomy says this. It is written. And Paul says to the saints in Galatia, it is also written. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? You see how many other it is also written's are there? A whole bunch, the full counsel of the word of God. And so we see a picture of this threat that exists for you and me. Be very, very careful with the things of this world. Now, we have, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
We have jobs, we have responsibilities, we have duties in accordance to the flesh. Because, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And when I say in accordance to the flesh, I'm talking about, you know, rent, mortgage. I'm talking about utility, utility bills. I'm talking about uh, 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 buying groceries, uh, uh, you know, feeding a family, those things. Because remember, if you don't work, you don't eat. People say, oh, Jesus Christ was a socialist. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. You don't work, you don't eat. That was a problem that, that, that happened in Thessalonica. There were believers who were taking advantage of the uh, 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 Christian the Christian living, taking advantage of, oh, you know what? I'm hungry, so the Bible says you got to feed me. Oh, I'm hungry, so the Bible says you have to open up your home, invite me in, and I can raid your refrigerator. So, And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. And then Paul caught wind of it. Somebody alerted Paul. Paul, this is happening. And Paul was like, how is this happening? Okay, if a person doesn't want to work, neither does he eat. He's going to starve. You see? It's not. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't a socialist. His brand of government is not of this world. It is not of this world. You see? And so saints, as saints... We need to understand these things, not for sake of government, not for sake of governing, but for sake of you and me yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, understanding what happens, what he teaches us in his word, the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. You see? And you and me yielding to him, yielding to his spirit. Now, understand that Satan has his servants. Satan has his servants who present themselves as uh, preachers of righteousness, ministers of righteousness. But it's a trick. It's a trap. And what do they do? They present another Jesus. They present another gospel. They present another spirit, all in accordance to another spirit that is not of our Lord. And just as Paul says to the saints in Corinth, you might well put up with it. And this is a threat that was happening in the saints in Ephesus. You see? And what's so powerful about our, our study, what we're going to learn more about through our study in Ephesians, is like Moses, it just so happens that we're studying Deuteronomy on Wednesday. And like Moses is telling the next generation, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. In that same fashion, Paul is saying the same thing to the saints in Ephesus. Remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget. I know that you have the these responsibilities in life, but don't let those distractions become, you know, uh, pull you away, steer you away. You have to remember, 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 remember. It's so powerful when we have the full counsel of the word of God, because there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. We see what happens when a generation forgets. We see what happens Old Testament and New Testament. Look at Egypt, when they were friendly with Israel and, and Joseph became second in command at the right hand of Pharaoh, a type of Christ. 
at the right hand of Pharaoh. And the Lord saved Egypt and Egypt rejoiced. Egypt, Egypt was saved by the Lord through the vessel that he used, Joseph. But then they forgot. And then Israel forgot. And Israel went into bondage. And in that state of forgetting Egypt, they were judged. Israel, they were also judged in the wilderness. You see, the wrath of God came to Egypt, but it also came to not all of Israel, a part of Israel. Korah, when the earth opened up, remember the javelin too? You see, the plague that came in the wilderness? Listen to our study through Numbers and you'll understand. The Lord is not mocked just as we study. God is not mocked. And at the same time, you know, I don't say this to like, you know, scare you. But in one sense, I kind of do. You know, it's not that's not the focal point, you know. But in one sense, I kind of do. Because remember, the fear of the Lord, as it is written, is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the beginning of wisdom. Say to wisdom, you are my uh, my uh, uh, my nearest sister. Say of understanding, you are my nearest kin. You see, wisdom and understanding. And with wisdom and understanding, biblical wisdom, because this world has wisdom, but it's crazy. But biblical wisdom, which is not of this world, biblical understanding will help you. These are things that the Lord uses to help you. You know, just that, that threat that we looked at in Luke 8, the threat of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Well, the Lord uses wisdom and understanding for you and me to help us and not be lured away by the things of the flesh. You see? And this is how a soul learns how to walk according to the Spirit. Just as Moses says, remember, remember, remember to Israel. That's what we see with Paul. Remember, remember, remember. Just as, you know, in Galatians, remember when he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. You see, there's a repetitive, repetitive notion to the things that are being taught from the word. You see, there's a lot of repetition that we see. And praise be to the Lord. I'm so thankful for repetition. You know why? Because I need it. And if you're honest with yourself, you need it too. And you know it. Why? Because of, you know, what happens, how Satan, he's going to attack you when you're a baby. He's going to attack you when you're in first grade, when you're in kindergarten, when you're in preschool, he's going to attack you. When you're in kindergarten, he's going to attack you. When you're in first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, higher learning, higher academia, spiritually speaking, he's going to attack you. You say, well, the saints in Galatia, they're more spiritually mature than the saints in Corinth. And I guess in one sense, I can understand, you know, if, if a person were to say such a thing, I can understand that and even to a certain degree, agree with it. But does that mean the attack isn't going to come? Where Satan in Corinth, he used the flesh to distract, to get the attention of believers. He uses the 
carnal nature, the things of the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, all kinds of different things of the flesh. Oh, but the saints in Galatia, they're more mature. They don't have to worry about those things. Now, you don't see the works of the flesh in that manner in Galatia, but you still see the flesh through the return to the law. You see, it's an attack. The saints in Corinth were under attack. The saints in Galatia were under attack. And there's a beautiful stubbornness to pastors and teachers, overseers, elders. There's a beautiful stubbornness. And when I say stubbornness, I don't mean stubborn in accordance to the world or in accordance to the flesh. But I mean a stubbornness that, you know, the world can be saying, you know, oh, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And everybody could be doing exactly what the world says. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But that beautiful stubbornness, such as found in Moses, such as found in Paul, such as found in Priscilla, Achilla, Hannah, Samuel. You see, there's this beautiful stubbornness that says, no. No. What does the Bible say? What does the Lord have to say about this matter? I know the world is going this direction. I know the world wants this. I know culture wants this. I know society wants this. But what does the Bible say? You see? And that's what I'm talking about when I say the beautiful stubbornness. I'm not talking about the carnal stubbornness that, you know, a person is just uh, stiff-necked and stubborn. I don't, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the stubbornness, a beautiful spiritual stubbornness that refuses to walk away from the Lord. Oftentimes, that's where you'll find, that's where you'll find the patterns that Paul speaks of. And it's so powerful because Corinth definitely needed it. Galatia definitely needed it. And the Ephesian saints, they need it. And if you remember our study in the book of Acts, how many times did you hear us mention the defensive posture, which is good. A defensive posture in a, in a fighting perspective is very good. But don't forget the offensive posture as well to go on offense. You know, we have a shield, the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal. We have a shield, but then we also have a sword. You see? And, you know, going on offense has precursory attributes that we, as saints, we need to master them. They need to be mastered. I mean, if there is a war that is raging, you know, in, in accordance to Adam, in accordance to this, the, 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 the flesh and the carnal nature, if there is a war that is raging, who in their right mind would, you know, Give a kid a rifle and say, okay, here, go on the front lines. No, that kid, I mean, that kid needs to learn. That person needs to learn how to use the weapon, how to clean the weapon, how to, you know, if it jams, how to, you know, correct the weapon, how to disassemble the weapon, how to use the weapon, how to fire the weapon in different environments, you know, in sunny, bright day, but in a wet environment, how in a foggy environment, how to use the weapon. 
in varying environments so that person is now capable for the battlefield equipped for the battlefield you know there's certain other things too but i'm just speaking about a rifle but the same thing applies to you and me we have to learn a lot of times what happens in christians is that we have a heavy focus on the defense and it's not it's not bad at all it's, i mean it, it can be bad but to have a strong defense is beautiful but never ever ever forget that we have an offensive posture as well and it's not just like okay put a rifle in our hands and we're off no we have to be equipped we have to have this understanding to be equipped for the ministry of the saints. What is that ministry? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord, how the Lord calls you into ministry. If he does call you into ministry. The Lord knows that every single person who believes in Jesus Christ, the Lord knows that that person needs to grow and mature. Except there's something on our end too. Remember what we looked at in Luke 8, when, you know, these in verse 13, Luke 8, verse 13, these have no root. Why is there no root? You see, why is there no root? No maturity. And then at the same time in verse 14, the choked out, choked with the cares, the riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity or no fruit to perfection. You see, there's. There's, uh, on our end, just as Brother James teaches, faith without works. And it's not a works-based salvation. Remember, it's faith without obedience. You see? And Brother James says, faith without obedience is dead. It's faith and obedience working together. And this obedience, those are those precursory things, or that's the, the, the very means by which those precursory things are put into effect inside of you, inside of me. As we grow, as we mature, we're equipped for the battlefield to go on offense. I mean, the things that we study in the book of Ephesians, absent these things, a saint is ill-equipped for combat. I mean... Specifically Ephesians, because we're in the book of Ephesians. There's other attributes as, to, as well as evidence in our study in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. You see? And we're going to study this hardcore, these aspects about spiritual warfare to help us, yes, be on defense, but to help us go on offense but we can never forget this threat that was posed to the ephesian saints which is the same threat that is posed to you and me about the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life those things those distractions the money the possessions the sensual desires of this life of our livelihoods these are the very things that satan can use to choke me out and to choke you out. Why? Because he wants you dead. He wants to kill you. Not because he wants to trick you. Not because he wants to make you trip. I mean, he'll do those things too. 
but he wants to kill you. He wants you to burn in hell. You see? You look at a beautiful family, you know, you know, husband, wife, beautiful children. And you look at those beautiful children, a fresh baby boy. How beautiful is it? But understand, Satan wants to kill that baby boy. Satan wants to that baby boy to burn in hell. Now, to the parents out there, who in their right mind will let that happen? You see? You say, well, I don't like how you say that. Why? Why not? Why not? Straight up. I'm not saying it to be mean. But I also don't want a candy coat. We have to understand this war that rages because this war, it, it's right at our doorstep. It's right at our doorstep. And remember when, you know, the heart that goes on spiritual vacation how our Lord teaches us how the demon leaves. It's like, wow, praise be to the Lord, the demon is gone. And yes, praise be to the Lord. But if that soul goes on spiritual vacation and isn't equipped as we study in the book of Ephesians, it doesn't have the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and having no root, bringing no fruit to maturity, well, that demon's going to come back with his friends, which are worse than him, which means it's not a one-on-one -on -one battle. It's straight up one on eight because he comes back with more demons. You see? And that state of the man, if he's ill-equipped, the state of the man, the state of the woman is much worse than it was from the very beginning. When there was just one demon, because now there's seven. Now there's eight. You see? So a lot of times, sometimes people say, oh, I don't like how you say this. I don't like how you say it like this. I don't like how you say that. Why you say this baby boy, fresh, beautiful baby boy, fresh, beautiful baby girl, and Satan wants him or her to burn in hell. What's well, true? What parent will let that happen? You see? Oh, what defensive posture will help. Yes, absolutely. A defensive posture will help. But you know what else? What, what also helps? Go on offense. I fix bayonets, go on offense. And I speak supernaturally. I don't speak carnal like, you know, let's go out and kill people. No, I speak supernaturally. To understand these weapons of our warfare, you know, they're not to remain bright and shiny. You know, our armor, it's not to remain bright and shiny and polished. But we're going to have dents. Dented armor means, wow, this person has been in combat. Dents in the shield means like, wow, this person deflected a heavy blow. There's beauty behind dents. You see? I mean, if I were to go into combat with somebody, I wouldn't look for the bright and shiny helmet. I wouldn't look for the bright and shiny, you know, uh, uh, shield, the bright and shiny breastplate. I wouldn't look for the bright and shiny Show me the dents. I want to see the dents. And those are the guys that I want to be with. Those are the gals that I want to be with. Those with dents. You see? Because they've experienced some things. Don't be ashamed of the dents in life. Never be ashamed of the dents in life. Because we can rejoice in Christ. And not to take any glory away from him. Like, wow, look at what a mighty warrior I am. No, that's of the Lord. 
It's in complete and total, total honor unto him to glorify him. Let our glory be that in the Lord for his glory. You see, not to take any glory away from him, but 100% to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is a problem that happened to the saints in Ephesus. It's, it's not that they were, you know, that they turned away and that they were, you know, heading towards hell or, you know, they were doing these things and it was disobedient. In some regards, we can look at the, you know, this is the pathway of disobedience. But in this exhortation to the saints in Ephesus, Paul is saying, like Moses, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, 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 remember. Why? So that they don't go in the wrong direction. So they don't get steered into the wrong direction. It's almost like a uh, uh, preventive measures, so to speak. So that the saints can understand being fully equipped. Very, I don't want to say very practical tools that are given in Ephesians, but in one sense, I do want to say that there's practical tools because these are easy. Remember, our Lord himself says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not going to make it hard. You know, oh, believe in me, now you got to carry this, you know, thousand pounds. Who could do that? No, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see? And so now, let's go to Acts 18. Remember, this is around 54 AD. And let's go to Acts 18 now. A little refresher course. If you've been walking with us with if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember these studies through the book of Acts. But we're going to look at these passages in the book of Acts to understand what's happening to the to, to, to Ephesus. What's the kind of like the, the landscape of Ephesus? And so here in Acts 18. <clears throat> In Acts 18, in verse 19, we see Paul, how he came to Ephesus. And then in the end of verse 21, he sailed from Ephesus. Do you remember in our study in Corinth, how we mentioned that there was overlap in certain regions where like, you know, we likened it to Los Angeles. Like if we were, uh, 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 we started a church in Los Angeles and then, you know, we head west into Santa Barbara and then we go back from Santa Barbara, we head, uh, uh, we head back to Los Angeles and we go south to the Orange County, we go to the OC and then from the OC, we go down to San Diego, we go to Capistrano, you know, and we're there and we're starting churches. Well, you know, there's going to be overlap from Capistrano. We go back to the OC. From OC, we go back to uh, uh, Culver City. <laughs> from Culver City, you know, we might head into Whittier. From Whittier, we go back to Santa Barbara. And there's these overlaps that you see in Acts 18, 9, 17, 18, and 19, and 22. But here in Acts 18, you see in verse 19 how Paul he came to Ephesus, and at the end of verse 21, then he sailed from Ephesus. Now we get into 19, Acts 19, and this is the 54 AD. And this is what is written, a little refresher course, they've been walking with us for a while because we've studied these things already. Acts 19, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. So beautiful. Now, now Paul's in Ephesus. 
He was there earlier for a little bit, but now he's in Ephesus. He's going to stay here. This is the beginning. He's going to stay here for a while. He's going to stay here for three years in Ephesus. Remember 54 AD and then 57 AD and then five years later, he writes the book of Ephesians or the letter. We call it the book of Ephesians, but it's the letter to the Ephesian saints. So now Paul's in Ephesus. This is the beginning where he's going to stay there for a while. And he finds some disciples, beautiful, beautiful disciples, people who believe in Jesus Christ, except there's a problem with these believers in Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's what Paul says to these believers, these disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Very interesting. So you have these disciples, and praise be to the Lord, they believe in Jesus Christ. But they do not know about the Holy Spirit. That's similar to Apollos. In verse 1, Apollos was at Corinth. And that's where Priscilla and Aquila, they taught him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just as Paul, another vessel that the Lord is using as a worker, Apollos was a worker, Paul is another worker. Remember, we make the distinction between worker and field. Listen to our study in 1 Corinthians and you'll understand more. We make these distinctions between worker and field, or you can say pulpit and pew. You see, worker and field, pulpit and pew. Biblical. I'm not talking about, you know, the false teacher. That's that's a different pulpit. That's another pulpit in accordance to another spirit, you know, in accordance to another gospel, in accordance to another Jesus. When I say worker and field, liken it to pulpit and pew, there are major biblical qualifications behind that. It's not just saying like any pulpit or any pew. No, it has to be in accordance with sound doctrine. You say, oh, I, I go to this church, and yeah, he's a worker, he's a worker, uh, uh, but yeah, he wants us to go grave soaking. Well, that's another spirit. That's a person who presents another Jesus, another gospel. You see, don't believe the grave soakers. That is another spirit. It is a spirit, it is a spirit that is not of our Lord. It's satanic, it's demonic, necromancy, and abomination before the Lord. Don't do it. You see? So when I say uh, worker and field and likening it, liken it to uh, a pulpit and uh, a pew, well, major biblical qualifiers, major, of utmost sound doctrine. Not the grave soakers, not the replacement theologians, you know, not the mark of the beast pastors. I'm doing my air quotes, so-called pastors. Not those guys, the ones who teach sound doctrine. Not the money preachers. You see? And Paul says to these disciples, he finds them, wow, believers in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. Except there's a problem with these saints. There's a problem with these believers. And the question that he posed, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they didn't know. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So you have these disciples who do not know. And I don't want to say, you know, shame on them, shame on them. You know, Ephesus is the Ephesian saints. It's, it's at their, they're at their, very close to their birth. Young believers. I don't want to say, hey, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Now, by the, you know, we can get five years later in, in the book of uh, Ephesians. And I could say, you know, not shame on you, but hey, this isn't good. 
maybe in one sense, you know, hey, shame on you, just as Paul says to the saints in Galatia. You know, do I praise you in this? No, I do not praise you. You know, when he says, I say this to your shame, there are some things that are shameful, but are is it shameful? Just like we have babies. You know, we have beautiful, beautiful babies. You know, and a little baby has a little accident in his diaper, in her diaper. And it's like, you know, there's the cute aspect, you know. I mean, people have varying opinions on that. But there's a cute aspect of like, you know, just a little helpless baby. The baby needs help. And so I'm going to clean the baby. And it's beautiful because it's like you're caring for a child. It's beautiful. But then at the same time, what if that same child is, you know, age 20 years old, hasn't been taught has, and then, you know, accidents happen. And I don't want to get gross and be, being descriptive or anything. But it's like, wait a second, that's shameful. You're not doing, you know, like I taught you, you know, you got to do it like this, this, this. And you're not doing that. And so that's shameful now. You see, the same thing applies in our faith. It's like you're, you're not going to tell young believers, wow, this is shameful. But five years later, eight years later. 12 years later, you know what? I say this to your shame because you should know better by now. You see? Paul did it. The saints in Corinth, three years deep, three years of arrested development, no growth, no maturity. And remember, the threat, the threat in Luke 8, verse 13, these have no root. Short-term believers. These have no root, which means there's no maturity that's happening. And then in verse 14, Luke 8, verse 14, bringing no fruits to maturity or no fruits to perfection. You see? You're not going to tell a baby, you know, oh, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you, because the baby doesn't even know. Now, once the baby knows, that's a different ballgame. Because as Paul says, you know, I say this to your shame. Do I praise you in this? No. Do I praise you in that? No. I do not praise you. This isn't good. But yet here to these saints, this problem. Did you receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 19 verse 2? We don't know. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So you have these believers in Jesus Christ who know not about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just like you hear us reference to Acts 8, how the Holy Spirit bypassed Simon, the the Holy Spirit skipped Simon because there was wickedness in his heart. Does that mean that these disciples had wickedness in their hearts? No. But they did not know. These disciples, beautiful that they were disciples. They believed in Jesus Christ. But they needed to be taught. They needed a teacher. They needed a pastor. They needed elders. Biblical, you know, when I say that, major biblical qualifiers. It must be in accordance to sound doctrine, the truth of God's holy word. The grave soakers need not apply. The money preachers need not apply. The replacement theologians need not apply. The mark of the beast pastors need not apply. I'm talking about biblical qualifiers when I mention these workers. They need a teacher. We don't know, Paul. We haven't heard anything about the Holy Spirit. 
Paul didn't say, shame on you. He didn't say, I say this to your shame. No, he doesn't say that. Why? Because these are new believers. These are babies. Verse 3, Acts 19, verse 3. And he said to them, into what then were you, were you baptized? They said, so they said, into John's baptism, which is the water baptism. And so now it's revealed this problem. The problem is that these disciples, remember Paul at the end of verse 1, finding some disciples. You say, wow, I got my brothers and sisters here. These are fellow disciples. These, these are disciples and, you know, I'm, I have unity with them. And wow, you know, let me pour into them. And yes, Paul's going to pour into them, brothers and sisters. But then at the same time, you know, what happens here is that they're absent something. Something's missing from this formula. Remember the blue juice and the puff of smoke? Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You'll understand what we say, what I mean when, when we say the uh, blue juice and the puff of smoke. The formula must be right. Now it's revealed. We were baptized into John's baptism. In verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. How beautiful is this? The repentance of these believers. They repented. And they, they're disciples of Jesus Christ. They believe in Jesus Christ. And it's water baptism unto repentance, which is in verse 4. John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance. But then at the same time, he says, of John the Baptist, saying to the John the Baptist, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. Because remember, John the Baptist died. He prepared the way that is on Jesus Christ. The baptism of repentance was preparation. To prepare the heart. That's why belief in Jesus Christ cannot exclude repentance. It must include repentance. The acknowledgement of sin, just as we read in the Old Testament. And with the acknowledgement of sin and repentance is the denial of that sin. Lord, forgive me. I repent before you, Lord. You see? And then is the belief in Jesus Christ. And now what happens when they heard this? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is when John the Baptist, you know, when, when John the Baptist in verse 4 is saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's the, that's the problem with these disciples. In verse 1, finding them, finding these disciples. You say, wow, praise be to the Lord. Look, it's unity of the saints. Except Paul. Paul. Pose this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now it's revealed no. And these people, these disciples, these saints are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus only. At this particular moment. And that's a big problem. Because without the Holy Spirit... There is no power. Without the Holy Spirit, there is 
no helper. Now, you say, okay, so in the Acts 8, Acts chapter 8, Simon, how the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon because there was wickedness in his heart. With these saints in Acts, they just didn't know. They didn't know. They needed a teacher. Now look what happens in verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, very interesting, you see, these pastors and teachers laying hands. Very interesting. Now, I'm going to say something about the TV preachers. If you watch Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN, you see the false teachers and the false apostles. How they'll, you know, they'll wave their hand at an audience and you see the audience flying back, you know, they're falling back. Or you see like, you know, the guy like the, the Benny Hinn guy, he takes off his coat and he like, you know, whips it at the audience and the audience falls. That's an abomination. That is, that's mockery of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not speaking about that. But yet, remember when the believers in Acts 8, Philip the evangelist, and this group of people became believers. They received Jesus Christ. And Peter came into town and he perceived that the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them. And so what does he do? He laid hands on them. And then the Holy Spirit went in them. Except for Simon. Because of wickedness in his heart. Paul here. In verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them. This isn't what you see on the TV. On the TV preachers. You know how they, they make a mockery of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see it. You know, you see people like, you know, they'll, they'll wave their hand and people start, you know, convulsing and they shake on the ground. That, that's uh, demonic. The holy laughter that you see, what they call holy laughter, I'm doing my air quotes, what they call the holy laughter, that's demonic. But you have these godly teachers and pastors and don't forget the biblical qualifiers, such as Paul such as Peter, and they lay their hands. And here, Paul had laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, he says in verse 6. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, you see. Now, yes, the gift of tongues can happen with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but tongues is one of many gifts. A lot of times what happens in the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement is they say that tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's absolutely true that it is evidence, but it is one of many. It is not just tongues only. It can be tongues, but I'll say this. What I see in the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, I see a lot of abuse. I see a lot of fakery. Because in our, if you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, you'll understand the gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, understanding that there are many gifts, the greatest being love. One of them is tongues. So yes, absolutely, the gift of tongues is of the Holy Spirit. But if it is not in accordance with the Bible, remember, the Holy Spirit leads in obedience to the Word of God which is the word became flesh, which is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will never lead in disobedience to the word of God. 
And I say this to my Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters. I love you. I don't say this to hurt you and be like, oh, you know, those, you know, those, those Pentecostals, those charismatics, you know, all oh, there's that. No, I don't say that. But I say this to exhort you, but then at the same time, also provide this warning. Make sure you're in obedience to the word of God, understanding that the spirit of our Lord will never lead a person in disobedience to the word of God. He will only lead in obedience to the word of God. You see, which means that depending on where you fellowship, you might be in trouble. You see, you know, just just like the the, the grave soakers. If you're in the if you're in the field, if you're in the pew, and you attend a fellowship where you know the the pastor you know wants to teach this, wants to teach that, a lot of topical messages, and says, okay, after church we're gonna go grave soaking, we're gonna go lay on the graves and absorb absorb the Holy Spirit which is in the graves of this guy, the graves of this guy, and we're gonna absorb the Holy Spirit which is in them, which is it's growing in popularity. It's growing in popularity, which means that. In order for it to grow in popularity, it requires people to be biblically illiterate. It's required. Because Bereans, those who study the scriptures, know that's not right. That is not biblical. And this thing that has arisen in the church in these last days... It is growing in popularity. More and more fellowships are partaking in this practice referred to as grave soaking. To soak in the Holy Spirit that is in dead people. The Holy Spirit will never be found in graves. The Holy Spirit is alive. You see? No grave soaking. Necromancy. An abomination before the Lord. And in the same manner, I would say to the pew, those in the pews of those fellowships, you're also in trouble. And I I say this, come out of her, my people. It's not to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not there. They are absolutely there. But tongues is one of many. You see, the greatest being love. And so the Holy Spirit, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, these disciples who haven't heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, what they say in verse 2. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Those are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave them, which are one, two of many gifts. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy. Don't forget there's the gift of interpretation. The Holy Spirit provides these gifts. Now let's look at verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. For three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. That's what happened. Who is this Paul guy? You know, Paul, we would, it was custom to him to go into the synagogue. Who is this guy? He's proving that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Remember, Paul became a threat. So now we got to kill him, they said. Who are these people that are with Paul? 
Remember, they weren't called Christians in the early church. They weren't called Christians until uh, until Antioch. That's when Christ, uh, people of the way were first called Christians. Before, they were just called people of the way. Because Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that just stuck with them. You know, Jesus says he is the way. And so, you know, it spoke evil of the way. Oh, those aren't, that's not the average Joe. That's not the average Jane. He's a guy of the way. She's a lady of the way. And I remember what this guy who was crucified on the cross and his tomb was empty. I don't know what happened to his body, but his tomb was empty. There are people of the way because he said he's the way. He's a guy of the way. She's a lady of the way. And this Paul guy, he keeps coming into our synagogues and proving that Jesus is the Messiah and he's making these people turn away from us and all these people of the way. They're so stupid. They're so crazy. They're so dumb. Let's kill Paul. You see, that's what that was the mentality that came in this opposition. And yes, there was the defensive posture of these saints, the people of the way. And they have teacher Paul with them. And they spoke evil of the way. And then something else happened that, you know, a lot of, you know, just like uh, the sons of Siva, that also happens in chapter 19. And so these people who did not believe and they had all the hardness of heart, they spoke evil of the way in verse 9. But yet in verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, in the face of opposition, there's the defensive posture. But then at the same time, there's the offensive too, going on offense. And when a person, when a soul goes on offense, equipped with the uh, the weapons of warfare, which are spiritual, it's not to go out and, you know, oh, these people want to kill me. I'm going to kill them first. No, these people want to kill me. And you know what? I'm still going to stand up for righteousness. Fear was, you know, in verse 17, this became known both to Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus in verse 17. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You see, all these people of the way, let's beat them up. Let's beat them up. And then all of a sudden, you know, just as what uh, in verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So all oh, these people of the way, this guy, she's, uh, he's of the way. This lady, she's of the way. They're so stupid. They're so dumb. And they got this teacher, Paul. And you know what? Let's kill him because he's a threat now. Let's kill him. And they don't go out. Okay, let's, let's organize and let's fight back and let's kill him. No, the, 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 the Christians don't do that. The people of the way don't do that. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will make the Lord known. And this evil spirit says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And when this thing happened, when the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and so that they fled naked, in verse 17, what happened in Ephesus, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Oh, this guy, he's a person of the way. This lady, she's a lady of the way. They're so dumb. They're so stupid. And then, you know, a couple days later, oh my goodness, 
Don't mess with him. Don't mess with her. She belongs to Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. Don't mess with them. You see? In verse 20, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, do you see? Just in this chapter alone, just the passage that we looked at, you see, well, you don't see the saints being carnal. I mean, somebody speaks evil of you, how are you going to respond? You can respond carnally or you can respond in accordance to the Spirit. What if somebody punches you in the face? You can respond carnally or you can respond in accordance to the Spirit. The ball's in your court. And when you respond carnally, how is it? How is it that the fear of the Lord, that fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified? How is the name of Jesus Christ magnified by means of the flesh? How? But when you and me, when we walk according to the Spirit, learn to walk according to the Spirit, and then actually do make the choice, the cognizant choice. No, I'm not going to do this, which is in accordance to the flesh. Lord, I'm going to yield to you. Now look what happens. The word of the Lord in verse 20 grew mightily and prevailed. Look, in verse 9, they spoke evil of the way. In verse 20, the Lord grew mightily. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see? Is it a defensive posture? You see aspects of a defensive posture, but you also see aspects of the offensive posture to go on offense. But when I say to go on offense, it is not carnal. It is like, okay, church, let's go out and beat these people up. Let's go out and kill them. No, I don't say that because it's unbiblical. That is unbecoming of a Christian. A man, a, a boy of the way, a girl of the way, a man of the way, a lady of the way, an old lady of the way, an old guy of the way. People speak evil of the way. But notice in verse 9, who is it that speaks evil of the way? People who were hard of heart, did not believe, which means they are not circumcised. You see? And I speak of the Spirit. Uncircumcised according to the Spirit. No circumcision of heart. Do they, do they respond carnally? No. In verse 11, now God worked. <laughs> you see? God worked. The offensive posture of the Christian is to be walking in accordance, in accordance to the Spirit of our Lord. Walking according to the flesh. You will not see these things. Why? Because it is of the flesh. Now, do you know what believers say today? Today, I know this I'm teaching this teaching is from 2001. 2001. And today, what believers are saying today is that oh that's the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. That's for that was for that dispensation. That was for that generation in the book of Acts. It is not for today. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that today. But do you know why they say that? They're making excuses for their own flesh their own flesh because they want to walk according to the flesh you know what they don't see they don't see verse 11 now god worked 
They don't see verse 11. Why? Because it's the flesh. You're seeing the work of their hands. You're seeing the steps of their feet, which is very easy to see because you don't need spiritual eyes to see it. You need eyes of the flesh to see it. Everybody can see it. And so to make an excuse for their own carnal nature, to make excuse for their own flesh, to make excuse for their heart that is uncircumcised. Oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. You see? They believe in Jesus Christ. They might have repented water baptism, but they're like the disciples of verse 1. Paul found these disciples. Paul also asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? When you believed? We don't know. We, we haven't heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. You see? No Holy Spirit. No baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which means no power and no help. You see? But with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people could speak evil of the way. But the Helper helps you die. The Helper helps you be crucified. The helper helps you turn the other cheek. The helper helps you walk in accordance to the Spirit. You see? And when you walk according to the Spirit, God works. Just verse 11. God works. You see? God works. And in verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You see, people can say, oh, yeah, we magnify the name of our Lord Jesus. We magnify the name of our Lord. They can say it. But if you take out your eyes of flesh, and I say that spiritually, I'm not saying, you know, pluck out your eyes. I'm saying take out your eyes of flesh. And you put in spiritual eyes, eyes to see, the better eyes. Spiritual ears, better ears, ears to hear. Is it really the Lord Jesus Christ that is magnified? Or is it the work of their hands, the works of their feet, the steps of their feet and the works of their hands? A lot of times what is happening is the accolades of things carnal. Oh, but we're rejoicing in the Lord. We're rejoicing in the Lord. But that's not the Lord. You see? Here in verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. People say, oh yeah, we have revival. We pray for revival. We pray for revival. But do you know what real revival looks like? What real revival looks like when the Holy Spirit, by usually what happens is, you know, a small group of people, very small group of people, empowered by the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit usually just blows up from that point, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, like with the Jesus people movement in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s, what would happen is that, you know, they didn't have like churches couldn't contain these people. So they would have like tents 
and people would pull over on the side of the highway and you'd see like people running across the freeway to hear the good news, to hear the gospel. Arguably, I would say one of the, 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 the last uh, uh, revivals in America were among the Jesus people movement. What you see like the uh, Toronto and Pensacola, no, that's another spirit. (laughs) Another spirit. The holy laughter, another spirit. But the Jesus people movement, arguably, I would say, probably the last revival in America. Now, there could be more. But it requires a very peculiar people. A very peculiar people who walk according to the Spirit. Oh, but that's for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore. And I say to you, observe the carnal. Oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. He doesn't, God doesn't work that way anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. And I say to you, observe the uncircumcised. Oh, that was for another dispensation. Look, I read this study Bible and he says it's another dispensation. And so I'm going to go on that. And I say to you, observe the unbelief. You see, when real revival comes into a town and usually starts with a small group of people, you know what happens? Bars close. Strippers go out of business. You know, the adult bookstores, they go out of business. Why? Because there's no demand for their supply. Because the Holy Spirit is moving in a region. People who are crucified. You see? And when you see this happen, you see saints on offense here. And it's not of the flesh. You see saints on offense in Ephesus. Then comes verse 23, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. You see? And you see the offense still continues in verse uh, 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 26. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, because what happens is that in verse 24, certain ma- a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, which is, you know, uh, also Artemis, the fertility goddess, brought no, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So these business people, they were like the, the craftsmen, the woods worker, they would make these things, but their business is they were, they were the supply side for the demand of the worship of Diana. And they, there was big money in Diana. Oh, the people, they, you know, they, they believe in Diana and they want their shrines. They wanted their shrines at their homes, in every room in their house. They want their shrines and, you know, in their cars. And they want, I mean, you know, they didn't have cars back then, but they want shrines and, you know, everywhere they go. Their workplaces, they want shrines at the beach. They want shrines over here. They want shrines over there. So we're the supply side. So let's sell them their goods. Let's make their shrines. And here you can sell it. 10 bucks a piece, 100 bucks a piece. You want a big one? Okay, 500 bucks a piece. And they were pulling profit from the worship of Diana. They were the supply side. And he calls the workers together, this Demetrius. He calls them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, 
You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. See where their focus was? Money-driven, the cares and the riches of this life. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, so this the word of the Lord which is growing mightily and prevailing, and at that time there in verse 23, there's a great commotion about the way, and in this state of offense among the saints of God, look what happens. This offense gains attention. Not only at Ephesus in verse 26, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul. So now Paul is on the in the crosshairs of the religious leaders and now the business people. This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people. We're going out of business. Look at the demand. You know, all these people are, you know, they want to buy these things of Diana. They want to buy these shrines and I'll sell them this little one to put in their kitchen, right at their kitchen sink. I'll make them this little one and sell them for 20 bucks. But then, you know, they want this big one in a room. They have a room devoted to Diana. I'll make this big one and sell it to them for a thousand bucks. And look, we're pulling profit. Look at all the money we're making. And wow, you know, like, look, we're, our business is booming. Except this guy, this Paul guy, who is this Paul guy? Instead of people becoming believers in Diana, people are becoming believers in Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches. And, you know, Paul comes and people believe in what he has to say. And they speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And oh my goodness, all these things are happening now, instead of, you know, you know, last month we made $10,000 and this month we made a hundred bucks. We're going to go out of business. You see? In verse 27, he says, this Demetrius fellow. Not only is it in verse 27, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, disre, disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may, dis may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. You see? Who is this Paul guy? Who is this Paul guy? He says in verse 28, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So look at this. Look at this battlefield of Ephesus. Look at this battlefield of Ephesus. Now the saints in verse 1, absent the Holy Spirit, they believed in Jesus Christ. You say, why do you call them saints? Well, they believe in Jesus Christ. But they do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting how Paul lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. How Peter lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Not what you see on Tricking Believers Nightly where they make a mockery of the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, a person waves his hand and like the whole front crowd just falls over. No, that's, that's an abomination. I'm talking about this very holy recipe of workers such as Paul, such as Peter. Remember, Apollos, he didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And so what happened in verse, um, in, in, the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, 
In verse 24, says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when, Pris when Achilla and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You see, you know what's so beautiful about Priscilla and Aquila? They're Paul's students. Paul's bubble. Paul's entourage, that holy entourage, that holy bubble. Now look at Priscilla and Aquila. They're teaching a pastor. They're teaching teachers. They're teaching Apollos. Remember the Corinthian saints? They're like, oh, we're of Paul. We're of Cephas. We're of Apollos. Well, that's the Apollos. Taught and sharpened by Priscilla and Aquila. Remember, rubber doesn't sharpen iron. No, iron sharpens iron. And Ap Apollos, he knew the scriptures. He taught accurately, fervent in spirit, mighty in the scriptures. Except he lacked one thing, the helper, the Paracletus, the Holy Spirit. Enter Aquila and Priscilla, students of Paul. You see, this holy entourage, the holy bubble, now explaining the things of the way of God more accurately. They sharpened Apollos for his ministry. The Holy Spirit. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's what the uncircumcised say. And I speak of the Spirit. Observe the flesh. Oh, but we praise the Lord. We magnify the name of the Lord. Okay. You say you magnify the name of the Lord. But when I look at the fruit, you know, what's up with the crack? What's up with the sex? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the alcohol? What's up with the Buddha? What's up with the being a tax cheat? Because the Holy Spirit wouldn't lead in disobedience. Oh, we're not saved by, by works. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about obedience. And Brother James says, faith without works, faith without obedience is dead. You see? So these are things that the last day's church are really going to have to wrestle with. Really going to have to wrestle with and contend with. As the Lord makes himself known. Saints in these last days are going to have to let go of tricking believers nightly. They're going to have to let go of the money preachers. They're going to have to let go of the mark of the beast pastors. They're going to have to let go of replacement theology if they desire to let go. They're going to have to, they're going to be forced to a fork in the road where they're going to have to make these hardcore decisions and admit that they lacked understanding. Which means they have to be humbled. See, because pride won't permit that to happen. Humility will. 
But to go from the heights of pride to the depths of humility, that's between a soul and the Lord. You see? Look at this spiritual warfare that is happening in Acts 19 in Ephesus where the Ephesian saints are, what Paul writes this letter to them five years later. Now these saints in verse 1, now they have the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, in verse 6, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. You see? And in this opposition, look what is happening, this spiritual warfare. This opposition that is coming against the saints. That, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now you see this battlefield. This spiritual warfare that happens. And so, you know, what happens here is uh, uh, in chapter 20 now. In chapter 20, verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. This is when Paul leaves Ephesus. And he's leaving. He embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now we get to verse... This is Acts 20 now. In Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul now, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now, this is the Miletus meeting. If you remember our study through the book of Acts, you remember the Miletus meeting? It That Miletus meeting, that group of overseers not not the not the not the field the workers not the pew or not the 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 the, the pew it's the the pulpit the overseers and paul calls these elders of ephesus to him not in ephesus he calls these elders to him and miletus hey meet me in miletus and so what does he say here remember five years later the saints in Ephesus, they're under threat. Where Paul, in, in, in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian saints, he has to tell them, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Because remember, there's that threat. The threat that exists for all of us. It's part of, it's, it's part of spiritual warfare. Do not ever expect not to have that because satan always wants you dead satan always wants to kill you you see the threat is always there but you me a people of the way we have to be dangerous spiritually speaking bereans understanding the word of god in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when people say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't do those miracles that you see in the book of Acts. He doesn't do those things anymore. And I say unto you, observe the uncircumcision. Such people do not believe. You see? They believe in Jesus Christ, though. They believe in Jesus Christ. Even the demons believe. But do they obey? Even the demons believe. You see? Observe the uncircumcised. And these are people 
who are going to make some very major decisions. They're going to have to because it's the pride that won't permit them to, but they will be humbled. And that's one of the most beautiful things about the 70th week of Daniel. Because as the Lord makes himself known using plagues, as he did in Egypt, using plagues, the Lord made himself known. And he humbled. He humbled. You see? Pharaoh refused to humble his heart. You see? Oh, but God did that as judgment. But don't forget, how many times did Pharaoh refuse to humble himself? And then God humbled him. You see? But not, you know, even those who were in Pharaoh's circle, they were humbled by the Lord. They even, even the the, the priests, the magicians of Egypt, at the very onset, they, oh, you know, they, Pharaoh, don't worry about it. You know, our gods can do the same thing. Look, we can turn this water into blood too. Our, you know, we can do it too. Our gods can do it too. But then the hail came. And finally, they're like, oh, oh we got a problem here. Because the God of Israel, he can do it. He can bring the hail. But Pharaoh, our gods can't do it. You see? The God of Israel... He is Lord. And the Lord made himself known even to the Egyptians, even to Pharaoh's inner circle. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Uncircumcision. And then what happened? God hardened his heart. And then judgment came. And in this Miletus meeting, Paul, he calls the elders. He doesn't call the, the field. He doesn't call the pews. He calls the pulpits, the overseers. Hey, meet me, elders of Ephesus, meet me in Miletus. And so now in verse 28, therefore, speaking to these elders, overseers, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. The saints that we read in, remember, uh, Acts 19, verse 1, these disciples who now have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Those who are under your care, elders. Those who are under your care, pastors. Those who are under your care. Take heed to yourselves. Now, it's not just, you know, just to them. You still got to, you know, the, the, the blue juice and the puff of smoke. The formula has to be right within you, elders. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is one of Paul's final exhortations to the overseers in Ephesus. Hey, take care of yourselves, yes, but take care of the flock. Take care of the flock of God. Tend to them. Feed them. Protect them. Teach them. Pour into them. These are things that are going to wane in the last days. Biblically qualified overseers. You might have people who are overseers. 
Oh yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. Are you female? Yeah. Biblically disqualified. Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. Are you female? Yes. Biblically disqualified. These are going to wane in the last days more and more and more. Overseers. You must be Bereans. You must be Bereans. Learn to make bread and store your oil. You must, you must, you must, you must. Because these days are evil. And these things must happen. Do you know why? Because judgment comes first in the house of God. It is prophesied. These things will come to pass. Judgment comes first to the house of God, which also reveals what? Church can be a very dangerous place in the last days. The formula must be right of the pastor. The formula must be right of the elder. The formula must be right. If it is not right, get a new pastor. You know exactly what to look for. You see? And to these overseers, Paul is reminding the overseers of Ephesus. Remember, these are the elders of Ephesus. He's reminding them, don't forget, you guys, to the overseers. Don't forget Paul in his beautiful, beautiful, holy stubbornness. Not a stubbornness of the flesh. A stubbornness of Adam. No, a stubbornness in the spirit. Don't forget, you guys. Overseers, elders. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, Paul is leaving. Remember, Paul is leaving. He left Ephesus in uh, 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 um, um, in verse 1 of chapter 20. He embraced the disciples and departed to Macedonia. But in his journey, he called in verse 17 to eight elders, meet me in Miletus. And here he is there at Miletus. Now they're having this meeting. And he says in verse 29, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You see? Savage wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock. Do you remember in our study in the Corinthian letters, in our study in Galatia, the preacher guy comes in. Servants of Satan. Pseudo Adelpho, pseudo Apostolos, fake. They came in. And Paul says, the same, similar, similar, similar war tactic. The preacher guy is going to come in. And Paul says, savage wolves will come in among you. You see? Yes, among the Ephesian saints. But remember, he's speaking to the elders, the overseers. And he's saying, savage wolves will come in among you. The pseudodelphos. You guys are going to think he's a brother. You guys are going to think he's an overseer. But he's a savage wolf. He's a servant of Satan. He comes in another spirit. He comes with another gospel. He presents another Jesus, a Jesus that is not in accordance with the word of God. 
and these wolves will come. He doesn't say wolf singular. He says, he says wolves with plurality. And he doesn't just say wolves. He says savage wolves. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, which means the flock, they're in danger. The disciples who just were in the, 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 the baptism of Jesus only, but now they're in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're in danger. And Paul is saying to these overseers that these savage wolves won't spare the flock. He says this in verse 30, also from, from among yourselves. You see, overseers, shepherds can turn on the flock. Instead of protecting them, can eat them. Instead of protecting the flock, can kill the flock. And of the overseers, Paul says, from among yourselves, man will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. These are the guys, they want the accolades of man. Oh, look how awesome I am. Look how cool I am. Look, I got a million followers on social media. Look, I'm, a, look, I'm an influencer. Drawing away disciples after themselves instead of leading disciples to Christ. Instead of leading to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. These fake shepherds, look at what they do. They're rising up among the overseers who are, you know, the Holy, in verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. But now in verse 30, from among yourselves of these shepherds, they defect. And they rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Instead of following Jesus, instead of following Jesus and worship Jesus, worship me. That's what the pseudo-delphos say. That's what the pseudo-apostolos say. That's what the servants of Satan say. Worship me. You see, Lucifer said the same thing. I will be exalted above the Lord. It's Luciferian. It's satanic. It's demonic. And Paul is saying this to the elders of Ephesus. He says in verse 31, Therefore, watch, which is a military term, to be vigilant. To stay awake, don't sleep. You have a job to do. You have a task to do given to you by the Spirit of our Lord to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, he says in verse 28. To shepherd the church. You teach, you pour, you protect, you feed, you guide. When the wolf comes, kill the wolf. When the wolves come with plurality, kill them all. I speak metaphysically. I'm not saying literally, you know, the false teacher comes here to kill him. But supernaturally, kill him. Because they're a threat to the flock. You see? Though, now, I speak those who are under your care. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, those who are under your care. As you shepherd. 
But if you're a teacher with none under your care, it's, it's a little different. A little different. He says, remember he's speaking to the overseers. And therefore watch. And remember. You see, you know, how you, when Moses says to the Israel, the second generation, remember, 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 don't forget. You know who's in that group of people? Joshua. You know who forgets? Joshua. You see? And then the Lord reminds him, you know, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. He knew that already, but he forgot. Paul. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. He says it to saints, but you know who's included in the group of saints? The elders, the pastors. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. You know what happens among these overseers? They forget. And yet the exhortation is clear. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, remember, 57 AD or, or 54 AD in uh, 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 Acts 19 and then 57 AD, Acts 20 and, you know, uh, 62 AD when, you know, five years later, Paul writes the, 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 the book of uh, the letter to the Galatian, to the Ephesian saints, the book of Ephesians. He says, therefore, watch military term, which is to stay awake and be vigilant. You know what happens among these overseers? They forget. They're not vigilant. They fall asleep. And Paul says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's what Paul says. I didn't cease to warn. For three years, night and day, 365, 365 days, maybe leap year. 365 days and every night and day. Oh, here's Paul again. He's talking about, you know, uh, the, the threat. He's talking about the wolves. Oh, I want to come to church and just feel good. I want to feel good about ourselves. Come on. I want to feel good about myself. Why does Paul, he keeps talking about the, the wolves, you know. I keep, he, he keeps talking, you know, don't fall asleep. He keeps saying, stay awake. Well, five years later, he's going to write, Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesian saints. What happened? And for three years, in that beautiful, holy stubbornness, and I speak in accordance to the Spirit, not in accordance to Adam. It's not a carnal stubbornness. It's a spiritual stubbornness, which is steadfast. Remember, dead fish go with the flow. And for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In this Miletus meeting, the elders of Ephesus in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, knelt down and prayed with them all. Beautiful Paul with these beautiful overseers, elders, People who are tasked by the Holy Spirit, who has made them overseers with the purpose to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood to feed, to protect, to guide. When the wolf comes, kill the wolf. 
And in this Miletus meeting, Paul, he had said these things in verse 36. He knelt down and prayed with them all. Paul with the overseers. Paul, a pastor of pastors, a pastor of elders, a teacher of pastors, a teacher of elders. And in this teaching capacity, teaching, yes, in word, but also teaching by deed, because he says for three years, remember, for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Teaching by example. And in this Miletus meeting, he knelt down and prayed with them all. In verse 37, then they all wept freely. Translates as profusely. They all wept profusely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. You see? Fell on Paul's neck. This beautiful intimacy. The overseers unto their teacher. Pastors unto their pastor. Elders unto their pastor. Shepherds unto their teacher, unto their shepherd. And they felt they wept profusely. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. These are like hardcore words. He's speaking to overseers and says, you know, savage wolves, not just savage wolf, not just wolf, wolves, plural, and not just wolves, plural, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And he says in verse 30, from among yourselves, among you overseers, some of you are going to defect. You see, some of you are going to defect. That's what he says. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. And remember, he says in verse 29, I know this, that after my departure, after my departure, remember the the demons? Jesus, I know. You know, Paul, I know. Or, you know, Jesus, we know. Uh, Paul, we know. But who in the world are you guys? The demonic realm, the demons, Satan and his minions, the demons. They know who the Pauls are. They know exactly who the Pauls are. They know who these stubborn, holy people are. Stubborn, holy men are. And Paul says, after my departure... These things are going to happen. You see? This was savage wolves will come in, even from among you, overseers. And in this beautiful Miletus meeting, they wept profusely, fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all in verse 38 for the words which he spoke, which are hardcore. And that they would see his face no more. This is the last meeting. We're done. And they accompanied him to a ship. You see? Elders and overseers, to include pastors, have a God-given responsibility. But yet through this, through seduction, which is really an attack of Satan, through seduction, 
These duties of the overseers, these duties of the shepherds in the church, these duties can be forgotten, which is an abdication through flesh and things carnal. And when the shepherd is gone, the flock is exposed to wolves. Look at when Paul's gone, look what happened. Paul says, after my departure. Now, in a prideful sense, you know, from a prideful standpoint, which isn't Paul, Paul's not saying, you know, like, you know, like, you know, not on my watch. You know, if I stay in Ephesus, this won't happen. You know, it's not a prideful sense. But it's a beautiful, holy stubbornness. And when I say his beautiful, stubborn holiness, it's or the beautiful, holy stubbornness. If you've been walking us with us for a while, you know what's baked in that cake. You know what's baked in that cake. The pain. The pain of Paul. Remember? He heard the screams of terror. Men, women, children who were beaten, dragged away, stoned. There's a lot of pain how he persecuted the saints before he came to Christ. There's a lot of pain associated in the embodiment of Paul, in his mind, in his spirit. There's a lot of pain associated with that. It's not just like, you know, look at Paul. He's stubborn and how cool it is. And it's a beautiful, how beautiful. And, you know, it's holy stubbornness. It's like, okay, you know, that I'm, it's much deeper than that. We, we know what's, if you've been walking with us for a while, if you haven't listened to our study through the book of Acts, through the book of Romans, through 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians, and you'll understand. This cross that he carries, there's an abundance of pain associated with that. But yet in his weakness, Christ is made strong. Christ is stronger. You see, behold the crucifixion. When Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, we know what's baked in the cake of Paul. Pain, suffering. Remember, they left him for dead on account of the saints to feed them, to protect them, to shepherd them, to guide them, to teach them, to pour into them. And to the overseers, he's saying, you guys stay on watch. Don't fall asleep. But after my departure, I know these things will happen. You see? You say, well, well, why should Paul depart then? Why is Paul departing? Oh, look, he's so mean-spirited. He shouldn't depart because he knows... He has to obey the Lord. As the Lord guides him, as the Lord leads him, he has to obey the Lord. You see? Now the shepherds, they, the Miletus meeting is over now. The shepherds, they get on a boat, they go back to, they're in Miletus, now they go back to Ephesus. And in the course of time, the flock is exposed to wolves. Some even from among themselves. And then Paul, five years later, Paul writes the book of Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesian saints. You see? 
Ephesus had its share of Bereans who knew and understood a remnant. But that's not to make excuses and be like, okay, we're okay. No. The exhortation to the saints in Ephesus, the exhortation must still be given. And that's what's so beautiful, especially in light of all we've studied through Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and even our study through the Torah, through the Old Testament, in the five books of Moses, in Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Moses' final discourse to the second generation, which must pass through the promised land, always saying, don't forget, don't forget, you got to remember even the good, the bad, the ugly, because these things will help you when you pass, the prom- pass to the promised land. They will help you remember. But you know what happens? They forget. I mean, they re- some of them remember immediately. And the Lord, you know, the, don't forget, when, when, when Joshua forget, when we get to the book of Joshua, Joshua forgets. But the Lord is the one who says, be strong and courageous. And in the course of time, you know what happens in, 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 when, when uh, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And then Israel says, okay, you know, we're like you, Joshua. We're, as for us in our houses, we're going to serve the Lord. And we read that and we're like, wow, praise be the Lord. But then you turn a couple pages and you get to the book of Judges. What happened? What happened? And that's the threat that can come to you or me as we consider Luke 8 verse 14. Having heard being choked out, which is to be strangled completely. How does that, what does that strangling look like? the distractions the distractions money and possessions and the pleasures of life bringing no fruit to maturity bringing no fruit to perfection in the Miletus meeting Paul is saying to the elders of Ephesus be on watch be on guard you are charged by the Lord you have a responsibility unto the Lord the Lord has called you to serve as protectors as shepherds to feed, protect, and guide, and pour into. And in the course of time, just five short years later, what happens to the saints? In Ephesus, they forget. They forget. And so Paul writes this letter, hey, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. It's the same. And how powerful is it when we learn, when we study next week, when we open and actually look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, to understand that this going on offense, just as we mentioned earlier, does have these precursory attributes. Not just to remember. Yes, always remember. Yes, never forget. But to master as we get deeper in the events of the last days. Yes, the world might go into crazy town and the world is going into crazy town. And yes, the church might go into crazy town and the church is going into crazy town. But these things must happen so that all the scriptures will be fulfilled. These things must come to pass and it is happening. But in this beautiful, beautiful, holy stubbornness, like Paul, not a stubbornness of the flesh, 
but a stubbornness that says, not on my watch. Remember Paul says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in. Where before Paul, he didn't say it, but he could have said, you know, not on my, this isn't going to happen on my watch. Not in a prideful sense, but in that beautiful stubbornness. The stubbornness that Priscilla and Aquila had. Students of Paul. You see, st- stubborn, beautiful, holy stubbornness that Peter had, that James had, that John had, that Jude had. All these vessels that we have before us in the full counsel of the word of God. Ones who the Lord sees. Like Amos, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, Amos, you're a prophet. You see, how beautiful is it for the exhortation of the saints? And that's what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians. Not necessarily saints that have fallen away, but saints that if they don't hold these things, if they don't hold these attributes, if they don't hold on to these things by forgetting, then they're under greater threat of not moving on to perfection, not mastering these things, you see? And so we're going to conclude our study here with this understanding of what is happening, the battlefield of Ephesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the helper. And with this understanding, it would help. it will help you and me Further grow, further mature in Christ. Understanding that, yes, these threats are around us. But in order for these threats to be around us and not have an impact, you and me, we have to be dangerous. In Christ. No pride of the flesh. I'm speaking about the full armor of the word of God. And so we'll end our study here and Lord willing, pick up in chapter 1 next week. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.